Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christofferson, Michael Brunts, here on a Tuesday morning. Big news on Monday, a newsworthy week already in just one day, and so we might as well just uh, skip the banter and just jump right in if you guys are good with it. Juanel Robinson, no longer part of Nebraska's program, that... uh, I don't know if you could you could pick a lot of bigger headlines for 2021, uh, and that's one that we get right off the bat. Initial thoughts, Michael Brunt. Yeah, I mean that that's not the way you want to uh, head into 2021 if you're the Nebraska football program. Um, I mean, it's transfers are kind of the name of the game in college football these days, but. I mean, you just had probably your most dangerous, uh, noteworthy offensive skill player decide to leave. Um, a guy who was kind of put forth as the face of the program. I mean, he was there when Nebraska unveiled its uh, football practice facility. Um, you know, he got a lot of push on social media. And obviously, you know, you saw what he did for Nebraska on the field in terms of you know, not only – what he did as a wide receiver, but also uh, as a running back, which maybe wasn't, you know, what his natural spot was in college. So, you know, th- there's not a lot of ways to, to really sugarcoat that that's a huge loss uh, in a lot of ways for Nebraska and definitely, you know, raises a lot of questions about kind of what Nebraska's offense is going to look like in 2021 and what options Nebraska has to kind of wallpaper over uh, the big hole that's going to be missing with Wondell Robinson no longer there. Ryan. Yeah. I mean, he, he's part of the reason he said he wanted to get closer to home was uh, his mother uh, who, uh, who got COVID and there were some other conditions with that. So, uh, you know, you respect that, but he also had in a quote that I think it was to ESPN.com, you know, that uh, he wanted to go to an offense that was a little bit more, I guess, uh, showed showcased him for the pro level. Um, so that's, that's kind of a hurtful line to be, uh, in black and white for everybody to see. Um, the, the irony there is, and I get it, Nebraska didn't really get the running back position going. So they felt like they had to slide Wandale in there at times, but I actually thought in the last four games or so of this season, they've, there was finally a formula that I was starting to like with him specifically with how he was getting the ball and how much he was getting the ball. I, I, that was a, one of the encouraging things actually to me was he was getting about 12 to 15 touches every game. And he was getting about 105, 110 yards every game. And you could almost book it. And so uh, that was happening, but you know, he's, he's from Kentucky. I wonder if he's going to end up at Kentucky. That's a possibility. They just hired an offensive coordinator who I think was with the Rams with Sean McVay. I don't know if that plays a factor here, but uh, however you want to talk about it, uh, yeah, this is a, this is giant. I mean, he was if you drew a piece of pie uh, and said who was who was the output coming from, especially in the passing game, Wandale would take up like five of the eight slices or so. It seems like so this is this is going to be tough. Yeah, it's it's remarkable because. You know, if you think about the Scott Frost era in Nebraska, the the biggest recruiting win would probably be Wondell Robinson. The the face of the program through three years 
is either Adrian Martinez or Wandale Robinson. And I think Robin, I think it'd be Robinson because he's the, the unquestioned starter, the one that I think most of the fans sort of react to. He was the guy that Nebraska had speak before, um, you know, kind of their, their unveiling of the new, the new facility spot. I mean, he, they, they sort of used him almost like a mascot in a way uh, for what the future of this program was going to be. And so it, it's, it's doubly stunning in that regard too, because it seemed like Wandale was very much up uh, for that and, and had nothing but strong, positive feelings for this place results aside, but two straight years of, of not winning and then, the, the struggles in terms of that offense, the offense got worse each of the last two years. This is a third straight year. Nebraska has to replace its top wide receiver in the off season. I mean, so there's, there's just so many concerns there, but I, I was pretty surprised. I mean, we, obviously the, the way this all went down, the, the rumors came out on Friday and then certainly we checked into it, but I was, I was pretty surprised when it came back. Uh, for for me, early Saturday morning, that there was not only legs to this story, but it was very very likely over for Nebraska and, and Scott Frost. And and I think the difficult thing is is figuring out what they do next because they already have enough issues. So one thing that you felt like they had uh, that they could depend on is is sort of Wando. As Brian said, it, it felt like at the end of last year they found uh, the right mix in terms of getting him the ball, getting him touches. He was a, a good portion of that offense. He was a guy that they they were able to get the ball to on third down in key situations against Purdue to move to move the chains they, against Rutgers. He was a, a big part of that offense when Dedrick Mills wasn't rolling downhill on people, and so it, it is going to be relatively difficult this spring, I think, for Nebraska to fill just his role, but also as they try to figure out what they want this offense to look like because even with Wandale Robinson, and that's kind of the scary thing, even with Wandale Robinson, it wasn't very good. And so now without it, what is this Nebraska offense? And so I guess on one hand, because they weren't good, even with them, it shouldn't be that severe of a drop off, but on the other, it just, it doesn't feel like you ever find the bottom for Nebraska right now. It just feels like they can just keep digging a hole and keep digging. And that's sort of where this program and this offense and the Scott Frost era all find itself right now in January in this offseason. Well, they, I mean, what's interesting that's happening right now, the defensive side of the ball has good things happening. Like, I mean, that group actually was trending up at the end of the year. And then you get news that Doman's coming back and Taylor Britt's coming back and maybe some of these other guys. And then the offense, it's just like it – any bad thing that can happen eventually does. Um, so that's, it, it's a weird deal because, you know, three years ago when Scott Frost came in, you would have thought, well, the offense is going to carry the heavy load. It was sort of believed, you know, on the defense, they just have to be out there and get a couple stops. Right. I mean, that was sort of this thinking that was in the air. And right now the, the strength of this team is on that side of the ball and they have some answers and the other side, it feels like is really, really searching. And not only that, Wandale was a big dog in that room. Like he wasn't just a very good player. Like JD Spielman made plays, uh, but it was a little different. He wasn't necessarily 
I would say a leader of the room or the guy who was out front as a spokesman. He definitely wasn't that. Wandale Robinson was all those things. Like he was a guy that young players gravitated towards because he he could he actually had proof he could get it done, and he was a guy to follow. And so now that that piece is lost too. Not just his talents, what he can do on the field, but how he can be there for other guys. Um, who are trying to figure this out, your Xavier Batcher, Will Nixon, Zelante Browns, those guys. And so that's it's it's like a double whammy in that respect that he's leaving. Yeah, it, it is one of the things I, I was writing about yesterday, and we'll get into into Samari Toure um, a little bit later, but one of the things that this team really hasn't had a lot of, and especially at that position, is sort of uh, leadership. And when Wandale got here, there was J.D. Spielman and there's conflicting reports about J.D. Spielman and really his time. Those two were close. Uh, that's that's not that's not in question. Uh, but that that room just sort of lacked leadership and he had to fill that void as a freshman. And then he really had to fill that void as a sophomore. And now, again, you start over and it's like you don't really have I mean, look, we can talk about. Cade Warner and how the coaches feel about him and what he sort of does in terms of running that group in the off season. But there's a difference between what players sort of look at in terms of leadership and what they hear from teammates when it comes from a guy that goes out and produces at a really high level. I mean, I think that there is a lot of respect for Stanley Morgan because he could both lead a room and also go lead out on the field and do it in terms of production. They haven't had that kind of guy. And Wandell was, was as close as they have had. I mean, JD is not, and we don't need to get into a big JD Spillman discussion and it doesn't serve any purpose, but he wasn't really that guy and that's fine. But that room was just devoid of, of that leadership and it, it still is now. And I think that it's important for guys like Xavier Betts and Alante Brown and William Nixon and these incoming freshmen, like they need someone that they can look up to and, and talk to and, and losing that, with Wandale Robinson is pretty big. And, and that's a role that the new guy, again, Samari Toure will get into, but he's, he's going to have to step into that. And that's a guy that hasn't even been here yet. So it's a, yeah. it's a really weird dynamic happening in that wide receiver room. It's a weird dynamic happening with this program. I, I'm very curious, Brian. I mean, you, you mentioned that the defense it feels good about where things are going on that side of the ball. Well, is Scott Frost ready or willing to play through his defense? Is this program ready to try to win football games, say 20 to 17 instead of 28, 24? Are they, so it's just a, are, are we going to see a shift as a program? And, and obviously you guys can't answer that right now. I can't answer that right now, but it's, those are the sort of questions that I guess come out of this for me, because I, I don't know. I don't know what to expect Nebraska's offense to remotely look like after a, a year of which it was already bad. And then it lost its, its key piece. Yeah. And a, a big part of that's going to be, and maybe it'll happen, you know, whenever this goes up is uh, Diedrich Mills still is looms large to me. If he, if he disappears, we have no idea what they have at running back and no. So basically right now at your skill spots, running back and wide receiver, we're really in the dark, you know, about what can be done. Now you look at it on paper 
and you're like, okay, that name looks like a good resume in high school. Like if you go through the wide receivers and some of these guys, you're like, I can see the promise there. You can definitely see it in Xavier Betts, but fans are rightly kind of tired of, oh, it looks good on paper. So it's going to look good on the field because they don't believe it at this point. You know, they, they don't believe that that uh, is going to transition. And so that's where there's going to be just like seven months of like concern or negativity because people are going to, yeah, maybe they do have some guys at those spots, but we haven't seen it yet. And we also in recent years, haven't necessarily seen that guys can develop uh, to become what we think they might be when they come in as recruits. And so that's, that's a big question. All those guys got to answer and this coaching staff has to answer. It's, it's, I think appropriate at this point to really, I mean, especially at the wide receiver spot to, to question the, you're right, Brian, like there, there is not recent history to suggest that, you know, guys are a going to come blazing right out of the gates or are going to, you know, really develop into significant contributors. I mean, this is, you add Wandale Robinson to that group of guys that have, have not stuck around. Like how do you build continuity and skill at the wide receiver position? If you just, you can't even keep guys here. You know, I I think Mm -hmm. if you go back, I I think I saw, I think it was Mark Cranach put out, you know, the, and I think we've talked about it too, just the, the trouble that Nebraska's had with getting guys just to complete their eligibility at Nebraska and I think Mike Williams is the only one um, going back quite a ways um, to, to actually make it all the way through. And I was, I was looking, and I think if you go back to the 2013 recruiting class, it's Stanley, DeMornay Pearsonell, Mike Williams, and Conavai Noah as a grad transfer are the guys that have completed their time at, at Nebraska. So, I mean, they, they've recruited a ton of wide receivers and it hasn't worked out. And, you know, you, you're, you're continuing to see the results of not being able to keep guys around, develop them and, and all that other stuff. And, and that's, I mean, get into that with the grad transfer wide receiver and kind of what Nebraska's options are. But, you know, you, you're again having to reset the deck and, and really rely and hope that those young guys are ready to go. Um, Maybe they are, but I, I think that's just a really tall ask to ask guys to come in and be extremely productive right out of the gates. And Scott Frost talks about that all the time. He uses that phrase, we've got to get old and stale. So he knows that that's like the, that's the pursuit that has to be accomplished here where they've actually got to get some guys to stick. They set a foundation. They're here as juniors and seniors. They're showing how it's done. And then you got some young guy behind the scene who's watching them and they're ready to do it a year or so later, and it starts this cycle. And Nebraska's stuck on the wrong side of the cycle. You mentioned all the guys who haven't made it. What's even more unsettling is how many guys have just popped out before even getting going. I mean, like even getting out of the blocks. There's guys who never played a game. There were scholarship guys at wide receiver who left. There's guys who are here for one season. It's just been a complete mess, and some of this stuff – I mean, it definitely goes back even before this staff got here, but that was the trend that they really had to break. And Matt Lubick has to help break uh, in his role and he maybe can still do it, but people are 
rightly skeptical now. And all those like 2020 guys, your Alantes, your Will Nixons, you know, Betts, uh, Omar Manning, they got to keep those guys around now and they got to grow together and they, they got to really, you know, push each other. And that's, that's going to be tough to, to ask, but that's, that's what has to happen this off season. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll dive into a conversation about an addition Nebraska actually had in Samari Toure, a FCS All-American from Montana. And we'll talk a little about Matt Farniak, who made a decision about his future as well. All that and more when we return here on the Husker 24-7 podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we are back. So some of the excitement for this edition, which I would argue if this was a year ago and you sort of replaced Omar Manning with Samaria Toure's production, like that's that's what this sort of excitement would have been. Uh, but I think because the the long shadow on the, the shorter stature of Wandale Robinson was cast over this, I think it, it does get kind of knocked down a little bit, but a huge addition from the transfer portal for Nebraska, a guy that had 1,400 yards receiving 13 touchdowns, I believe, last year. Uh, in, in 2019, I should say, the last year that he played, broke an FCS playoff record held by Randy Moss, was a productive receiver before he was a really, really good receiver, six foot three, 190 pounds, Samare Toure, Set to join Nebraska's program this offseason. We'll be joining the Huskers here shortly on campus as things get rolling for the offseason. We just spent a lot of time talking about what Nebraska lost. What do we make of adding a veteran like Toure to this offense that clearly has the ability to get downfield? I don't know if you guys have watched his highlights, but this is a guy that can he can play pretty deep from the line of scrimmage. I mean, so you can – you can take a few shots here. It's a it's a little bit different receiver than what we've seen Nebraska with in the past. He's kind of at least body type, I guess, more in line of what Nebraska seems to be looking for. You know, he, he's listed at what six three one ninety. So, yep. you know that that's more in line with what Nebraska's bringing in in its twenty twenty one recruiting class. I think you like you like the production that he's had. Obviously, I mean, I, I think. You know, that, that's the thing with the portal is, you know, you're, you're the guys that have been really productive, 
productive at the FBS level are going to have, you know, tons of schools after them. Uh, you, you do kind of wonder about how, you know, the FCS production is going to transfer uh, moving up a level, but, you know, he's obviously got big playability. Uh, you can see that clearly in his highlights and, you know, he's, he's going to be on campus in the spring. I think you need a guy that uh, has done it before, obviously, you know, with Wandale out, I mean, you're, you're returning leading receiver had 12 catches last year. So uh, I think it, it, uh, to borrow my own phrase, it checks a lot of boxes, but I think it's a good get. Um, and, and, you know, an even better get that he's going to be here uh, basically like this weekend. So I like it. Um, and, and we'll kind of see, you know, how, how the uh, adjustment to a different level of play goes. You could argue the biggest thing that Adrian Martinez uh, has missed uh, as far as guys around him is a Stanley Morgan type since 2018. You know, a guy where a quarterback feels he has a security blanket where you can throw it up sometimes and you can actually trust your guys going to not only have it chance to win a 50 50 ball but make it like a 65 35 ball for him you know where he he's going to actually get it more times than he's not and if you watch two rays highlights and some of his film um he has some of that in his game you have to have that to pile up 1495 yards in a season i mean you you have to have an ability to win some that are jump balls and stuff like that and so you know, ideally he brings that back to this offense, which we really haven't seen where uh, you can let a receiver go up and make a play. And hopefully the quarterbacks have some trust to, to do that too. You know, if you watch college football weekly, sometimes that's what it comes down to. You can draw these plays up and scheme it up on the grease board. But at the end of the day, you sometimes got to have a guy on the outside who just one-on-one balls up there. You know, he can go get it better than the other guy. And Nebraska hasn't had that. So, um, in that respect, uh, he's a huge addition, I think. And I, I think if Nebraska were sitting in a, like a more positive frame right now, if like they had had a five and three season or something like that, won a couple more games, and yesterday's news happened with Wandale leaving and Toure arriving, I think people would have sort of been like, okay, Wandale's bad, but there, there's an offsetting nature to this here with Toure coming in. I think because of Nebraska's lack of wins and the other things that it's not quite looked at as that, but uh, it is still a big get. People should uh, not mistake that. Well, you should have plenty of opportunity. And, and the, the big thing to me that he also brings, and I don't, I don't know that this should be poo-pooed by anybody. He's a guy that's played in big games. I mean, he, he played in playoff games at, at Montana. I mean, he knows what it's like to be in an atmosphere where they're winning. He knows what it's like to be in an atmosphere where there's a lot on the line in a game. Nebraska has not had a lot of that. I mean, we're, we're now into the fourth year of Scott Frost. These guys on the roster haven't been around a lot of winning. They haven't been around in, in moments where, you know, it really, really matters if they win that game and, and how to react to it and how to play to it. And so I think adding that this off season is, is pretty important. And, and again, I talked a lot about having a veteran in that room and someone that Xavier Betts can go to and ask questions of, and he didn't have that this last year. There wasn't a receiver that looked like him or that played like him. And I, I think, you know, Samari Toure could be that a little bit. He could, he could be a little bit of an established uh, veteran. And, and that's a tough thing to ask a guy who's just getting here, but that's, that's basically what Nebraska also hopes to get besides just the, the on-field production. 
and it it does make it a little bit easier because I, I think they like a lot of these younger guys that they have. I mean, I, I know they like Betts. I know they like Brown. I know they like Nixon. Then of course they have the three receivers coming in and Hardy Grimes and um, Neville. And so it, it allows you to, to not be in the same spot where we have to ask these questions continually of why aren't these freshmen playing? A lot of times it's because they're not ready to play and they're not, uh, at a position where they know enough of the offense and they're not going to be able to do enough things or you can do enough things on the fly. And so that it gives them a little time. None of those guys were coming in early. So they get here in June. You don't have to expect them to be uh, world beaters. And if one of them arrives and he's really good and he's able to get on the field, that's a bonus. And so I, I think that that is good. I, Nebraska needs more of that, but they need to be in a position where we get to stop talking about recruiting classes as if these guys have to come in and be, you know, all conference players immediately because that's just what Nebraska lacks. And so I, that takes time, obviously. Um, but it, it it's really important that they actually can start to build a little bit of that. And I, I know that Brunt mentioned it with they have to get old. And, and some of that is they also have to get that time to develop. I mean, we talk about development as if it's this thing that happens in the video game where they get nine points better in between one season to the next. I mean, Wondell Robinson was still developing the best was still supposed to come with him. And so, and he was pretty good already. And so I, I think that, you know, some of this for Nebraska, both as a program and as a wide receiver room is that they, they have to, uh, they have to build enough of it that there isn't these outsized expectations that every newcomer is going to save things, but that's what Tamari, Samari Toure already faces. He's already going to be expected to be the leading receiver and the, the key guy in the position room and, and all of these other things. I mean, it's, it's a tough life with Nebraska right now and, and throw in the fact that they don't win enough games to keep people at bay. I mean, it, it's difficult with this program. It really is. Yeah. Oliver Martin's another guy that needs to be in there. I think, you know, when you talk about the yep. wide receivers, I, he kind of popped it up a, a little bit in the season and you thought he might take off at the end and then he kind of was muted. Um, so he's a guy that needs to be, I think, part of the rotation or work his way in there, but everything you said is right. Like it's, there's oversized expectations right now because of necessity on guys who just got out of high school. Um, and they've got to change that and that's not going to be easy, but that's the, that's the obstacle. Well, let's uh, let's move on from Toure to, to get to this. Matt Farniak made a decision. Uh, recently, we've seen some of these guys that, that have been seniors have announced that they are coming back. Matt Farniak is indeed heading into the NFL. It, it finishes off a, a five-year stretch for him in which he was a, a pretty consistent offensive lineman in terms of playing. I mean, you, you go back to him being part of the 2016 class, uh, wrestling, I think, with Mike Cavanaugh in the, the living room. That was, that was one of the things, or, you know, I, I think that there, there was a good relationship there that brought him in. Then he had to play as a true or as a redshirt freshman in 2017. Um, and he struggled. I mean, he really struggled to, to kind of find a home. He broke, I think his, his arm. So he's playing with a cast for a little bit of time. He moved between tackle and guard and never felt like he was able to get the perfect fit for himself. Uh, you know, I, I was always interested to see if, if guard was going to be the right spot for him. And at times this year, it looked fine. And at times this year, he 
he was a little bit inconsistent, but you, you got to give it to Matt Farniak. He was there for every game. You talk to the people in that position room. He was a leader for him. He was a guy that they definitely, you know, really needed. He was, he was a vocal, vocal part of that team. He spoke to us in the media uh, a fair amount as well. And so even though his career did not go the way that I think he or, or anybody else really necessarily expected at the time of his commitment in January of 2016, uh, he ends up here in January 2021 heading off to the NFL and then he'll have an opportunity to, to maybe make a practice squad. Yeah, he's a, I mean, he was a good ambassador for the program for the reasons you mentioned, and he started basically the last three years. Uh, so, I mean, he had a more sturdy career than a lot of guys who walk through uh, those doors. Uh, that said, I think it's probably good for him. He's played five years of college football. It's time for the next chapter, see if he can make it or not. And I think in a way, um, not that they couldn't use Farniok's experience, I think it's good for this offensive line to sort of, okay, here's an, it sort of feels like this year has to be that you make the next move with the next crew, uh, which we started to see in the Rutgers game, you know, where you had the three freshmen and, a, and Juergens, a sophomore at center. Um, so that feels like it was, we're sort of set up for the, the next wave to, to see if they can be, a little better and take it to another level than the previous wave. And uh, that's the, that's the task for them. So if you handicap the guard spots, you've probably got Piper at left guard um, and then some combination of Hickson, potentially Brock Bando, Newelli. Is there anybody else I'm, I'm forgetting? Sichterman. Sichterman. Anybody Miller. else in that mix? Maybe. Not... Where's, where's Ezra Miller at? That's a good question. I, you would think that uh, if his health issues are figured out, then uh, he would potentially be in that mix as well. They got options. I mean, that that's that's the thing. Lutovsky. Yeah. And I mean, a freshman from this group of offensive linemen that was going to get on the field would be Henry Lutovsky. I don't think it's going to happen, but that kid's a, he's a missile. And uh, I, I really like him. I think he's one of their best commitments in this class. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a couple other guys from what is it the 2019 class where you have like Lynn and Fritchie. I mean, it, it's it's sort of going to be that year for those guys where they're either, you know, you're in or out sort of. Because um, O-line is a spot where sometimes guys don't pop into it for about three years. Um, I was just talking to the Branson Yeager, for example, who just signed and he straight up said, I know it's going to take me two to three years to play. Like I have to get stronger and stuff like that. So there's certain guys like that who uh, are in the shadows, but can sometimes show up. But I think that you guys mentioned the main ones at right guard, at least. All right. Any, uh, any closing thoughts on the, the championship game that occurred on Monday night? Did you guys stay up and watch the entire thing? I gave up about two drives into the fourth quarter because I felt pretty sure that my, my monopoly money was going to be pretty safe on my Alabama minus nine. Watch a little bit. I didn't, uh, I wasn't living and dying with every play. <laughs> We've talked about it. College football's in a tough spot. I think a little bit. I mean, it's a say that, that game was the example of it. You, you got a small table of teams that are at the top and there's a big gap from where the other table of teams sit. And then sometimes it feels like most years, even that small on within that small 
table of teams, one of them is always like 21 points better than everybody else that year. And so it's not even that exciting to watch those guys go head to head anymore. And so uh, if you want to make the case for expanding to eight, I think a big one is to just get some new blood, at least into the playoffs, have them have that type of success where you see some different helmets out there, even if they don't always make it to the championship. And maybe that changes some of this cycle of it just being the same old, same old every year. As much as I, go ahead. As I say, as much as I poo pooed not being interested in the opening round of the NFL playoffs, the uh, three games right in a row on Saturday and Sunday wasn't wasn't bad. Yeah, well, there's look. I think the NFL has a maybe the most endlessly entertaining product of professional sports in that I can talk myself into almost any game. I mean, I watched Saints Bears despite knowing full well that that was going to be an atrocity. And it was, and yet there it was on my television. On Nickelodeon? Uh, I didn't do the Nickelodeon thing. I just, I, I had it on, on stream. So it was going to mm-hmm. be behind because it didn't need to be on the main TV because it wasn't that good. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I do want to say this Alabama offense is really, really incredible what they were doing to teams. And like Ohio State is, is good and they were 28 points better. And they could have been a lot more than 28 points better. I mean, they're just, that's how good they were. Some of that is they had a a generational recruiting class in 2017 with Smith and Harris and Jones and Tagovailoa was part of that and that offensive line and some of those guys on defense. But the other thing that, that stands out to me is that Nick Saban at some point figured out that his team couldn't keep playing the way that it was because college football was shifting. And he adjusted from the sort of boring pro-style offense that they were to uh, not quite a tempo-based spread attack, but a spread attack. I mean, they're running pistol. They're doing all sorts of things. Some of the best play design that I saw in college football came out of that game. I mean, with what they were doing with Smith at wide receiver, moved them all over the place. It's scary to think that Alabama can combine that talent with uniqueness in game plan and offense because it's only going to make them more dangerous going forward. I I think that's one of the things that, you know, we talk about college football dynasties and how they eventually all come to an end. One of the things you got to give a lot of credit for to to Nick Saban is, is adapting the willingness to, to, to change, even though it was different than what he did at LSU and it was different than what he did initially at Alabama. He went and found success with an entirely different offense. And I, I think that's remarkable. I think that's an important thing that even Nick Saban, has to change what he does in order to be successful. It should be a, a example for everybody else in college football that if you're standing still and you're you're trying to fight the tide, you're going to get washed out. You got to change it out. And he did. And they won a title. He also understands who the best minds are uh, to bring in, even when the public perception on them is down. And he is not. He's not afraid to do that. And he, he did it with Sarkeesian, you know, Sarkeesian was a guy who uh, obviously had some personal demons to overcome and was in a bad place. And you got to say last night, I mean, I don't know what he's going to do at Texas, but he had himself a night last night. I know he had all the dudes on his side, but he was playing uh, a chess match three moves ahead of Ohio state that entire game with what he was calling. So it was, a, it, I'm sure Texas fans are over the moon today. We'll see if it translates, but you, you do have to give Sarkeesian props. It was a good night for him. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up and we will be back, I believe, on Thursday. You guys want to do another podcast this week? Yes. Sure. Feels like there's uh, yesterday was the first of many different news stories that are going to be coming this week. And so I, I, I'm guessing we're going to have no shortage of things to talk about by the time Thursday arrives. And there'll be no shortage of things on Husker 24-7. Be sure to go check out our coverage. Uh, I'll have some more recruiting stuff popping up. BC's been catching up with some of the early enrollees. Brunts has been rolling through a basketball team that has COVID pretty bad right now. They won't be playing on Wednesday night. And they may not be playing on Saturday either. So not a great week for Nebraska basketball. But uh, maybe we'll hit on that a little bit on Thursday as well. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount+.